0: You're listening You're listening You're listening You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more
1: If you want to learn about the music industry And you don't know where to go Tune into to WP88.7 Brave New Radio We got managers, producers, record labels concert promoters galore You never know Wednesday at 8 p.m.
2: The lightest attention will set off her imagination, but it's not when you start
1: the way you start. Can Three, two, one. Hey! Hey!
2: hey! hey that's
0: right. Hey. Music Fizz 101 and more Brave New Radio. I'm your professor, David Kirk along with Dr. Stavon. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. And Music Biz 101 and more radio show podcast. We're excited today. Our guest is going to be David 51 Norman of Tour Forensics. We will get into quite a bit of stuff about touring and all that. Uh, before we do so, and before he jumps on, we should remind you to go to musicbiz101wp.com, sign up for our newsletter, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at musicbiz101wp. And of course, this podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud. Should we give thanks, Dr. Esteban? We better. Let us give thanks. Thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno Wink, and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent, and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB... Uh, C-P-A when you're ready. And we want to give thanks to Christine... Right. They a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Christine has helped so many professionals all over the world manage their investments, plan out for their retirement, when somebody like you is thinking of building a bridge to your financial future. Think about the Forefront Group and go to Christine. They at
2: Forefront.com. Leave the last OI off for savings. Which is what we would expect you to
0: do. And, yeah. of course, Music Biz, uh, our program at the University of William Patterson, has been dubbed by Billboard magazine as one of the worst, Dr. Esteban, ever? One of the worst? No, not at all. The contrary, huh? Yes. What did they say? One of the most. One of the most bestest, one of the bestest. bestest. That's what the headline said. These are the most bestest programs in the country. I'm glad we have a,
2: this is radio. Yes, (laughs) because we're we're looking good today they can't see the uh, communication going <laughs> nonverbal that's right lots of nonverbals going yes.
0: and and then it looks like managing your band seventh edition looks yes. like we've we've got verbal sort of verbals that we're going to get our contract and that we're going to be
2: able to do it wow, i hope he's feeling well
0: yes so that's that and then the timing is perfect because here is our fella Dan. yes Id-51 Norman of Tour Forensic Series, David, hello!
3: How are you, gents?
0: Hey, how you doing? Every day is a good day.
2: Good. (laughs) That's right. It's safe. safe. Staying safe. You're in uh, Atlanta or what?
3: Yep, in Atlanta. I live uh, right near
2: the (laughs) airport. Ah, and you're staying
3: safe? Yeah, just, you know, the only thing I do during the day is I walk the dogs multiple times or I ride my bike
2: or... Right. Yes, I've been riding my bike. Yeah. (laughs) So where are you guys based out of? We're in uh, the epicenter, New Jersey.
3: Ooh, that's right.
2: Right in the middle of it. You haven't been up here uh, recently, have you? No, I haven't been up there since I think it was January. Don't. (laughs) Don't. (laughs) 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 totally different my daughter's in uh charleston and oh yeah my sister lives
3: in columbia south carolina
2: yeah she goes to usc and i tried to um tell her how paranoid it is up here but because you don't have it down there like that even though Atlanta is one of the uh hot spots isn't it down in for the south
3: um it it was but it seems like it's well we hear a different story every day you know some days the numbers have gone down some days it's
2: yeah right exactly out, so, yeah so. right we don't know god so what has this done to the touring business
3: Ooh, <laughs> it's you know i've been on so many different webinars talking about it that you know we're a complete standstill and um i personally think it's going to be a wash for this year you know touring wise um and then live nation just released something yesterday where they're planning on not really doing anything major until 2021.
1: Yeah. They're
3: going to try different things like... Um, the one in Arkansas. In the,
2: in the temple. Yeah.
3: And then drive-in movie theater concert. Yeah.
2: Also. Driving could sort of work, but you got your back line and your crew to worry about.
3: Well, yeah, because you know we still have to move from city to city. Yeah. You know, still being on a bus, still checking into hotels.
1: Exactly.
3: So, and you know, one of the things that we were talking on a couple of other webinars is, um, you know, buses can hold up to twelve people on a bus. Mm-hmm. You know, are we going to want to have twelve people on a bus? Are we going to want to like get extra buses and kind of spread out and have like yeah. six people? on a bus, and then a friend of mine runs one of the largest bus companies in Europe called Beat the Street, and they had just moved some of their operations here in the States, and they were going to be the first company here in the States to have double-decker touring buses to where you can get 16 people on a bus, and, you know, everyone's like, "Ooh, I don't know if I want 16 people right. on a bus now, so, you know, it's... There's just so many different things that are affecting us. Um, oops, here let me mute all that stuff. Sorry. So I think um, there's so many different discussions, and one of the things I brought up uh, is insurance. If who's going to be responsible if someone gets sick, you know, from attending a concert for the first time? Are we going to have um, is like William Morris, Live Nation, CAA, are they gonna have to start writing that into their policies when they're booking shows? Are the buyers gonna have to be responsible for the insurance? Is the artist gonna be responsible for the insurance? And and you know someone's gonna get sick and there's gonna probably be a lawsuit and then everyone's gonna go.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, We just had, uh, an, uh, we just spoke with an attorney
1: mm-hmm.
2: here from uh, New Jersey and we brought up that same idea, is the venue going to be responsible, or uh, is uh, act of God going to enter the picture or force majeure or, mm-hmm. and he seems to think not, he said, think that if there is enough information out there, then the venue should be responsible enough uh, so that the audience does not get uh, sick. And that's maybe the stand that they're going to take, which will stop a lot of venues and promoters. Of course, yeah. I yeah. mean, obviously, we need antibody testing quickly on a regular basis and a vaccine. Mm-hmm. And before that occurs, it's still going to be crapshoot. Yep. Yeah. you know.
3: Yeah, I understand opening the economy and everything because you know people have been out of work and you know the one stimulus check is not going to last, you know, that, that could last a person maybe a month and not to have any income with so many people on unemployment. Now, Mm -hmm. some people still aren't getting their unemployment. Um, Yeah. I, you know, it's a, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of scenario, if you don't open up the economy, several people are going to be out on the streets and if you do open the economy, then I'm, you know, several people are going to, the numbers are just going to go back up. And, you know, they're saying that we're going to expect a second wave to come through. Sure. In the
2: fall. So.
3: Yeah. We're expecting
2: now since two weeks since uh, many of the states opened up Mm -hmm. at that point. Uh, But on the other hand, like you said, it's such a mixed bag because I just read now that the hospital right here is now doing away with their COVID-19, um, rooms they don't need it anymore they're not getting that many people at the at one point they had 250 in there and now they have 49. so you don't you can't who are you going to believe and who do you feel comfortable with yeah very hard yep david you were going to say something me Uh, i i I totally agree
3: yes
2: no i meant this david the other david Oh I'm sorry.
3: I, I keep forgetting we have two
0: Davids. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. No. I'll go by uh Professor David Kirk Philp for now. So to oh, address me without uh, getting confused, we'll do that. Okay. <laughs> or you can just call me five one. That's what most people right. call. Me. Right. Yeah. Or, or you can call me some of the things that people normally call me, but
2: <laughs> that's good for radio, I, I looked up uh, this organization you're a member of. I was very interested in roadies of color. I've yeah. It.
3: Yeah, um, it's been around for 10 years. Uh, we had our first conference uh, in was it February. Yeah, in February here in Atlanta. So what it is, is uh, it was started by two gentlemen. Uh, one is named uh, Lance Casey Jenkins, I believe it is. And he's also the stage manager for Earth, Wind, and Fire. And when I was tour managing Earth, Wind, and Fire. Um, and then Bill Reeves, who's a well-known um, tour manager. So they started it. Uh, I'm the treasurer on it. So what it was it was started because there are so many conferences and conventions that, are, that people of color kind of get left out of, are not mentioned. So we wanted to have our own kind of conference to kind of you know, recognize some of our own touring people. And you know, and we had a lot of it's basically kind of like tour the Tour Link Conference or the Polestar Conference, but it's mostly people of color, you know, Hispanics, blacks, and mm-hmm. it's a a great networking thing. And then you know, we have different panels on um, that kind of address things for people of color. Right. Yeah. But it's a it's a great, great, great organization.
2: Mm-hmm. So uh, you're not an ind- you're part of a firm as well.
1: Nope,
2: independent, totally independent. Yep. Very okay, so much. How did you get into actual road managing?
3: <laughs> um, I used to be a frustrated drummer. Um, ah. I was in a lot of top forty bands, and I was. Um, also in a Rush cover band, if you could ah. read that. <laughs> so, so I was on the road, and I, and I was 18 at the time. Um, and I got a phone call at our hotel like 5 o'clock in the morning, and it was from a family member. My parents were in a serious car accident, and they unfortunately both passed away. Wow. So being that I was the eldest of two, my sister and myself, um, and my uncle and aunt who were in the car accident with my parents, they survived the accident, but they were also the executors of the will. And so my, they were in the hospital for like three months after the accident. So I kind of took it upon myself to find, you know, like my parents, uh, will their paper. My father was in the service. So, you know, I had a lot of people in the military kind of help me and my sister survive for the few months until my, uh, Relatives got out of the hospital, but, but my parents left a nice little inheritance to my sister and myself. And so I, I still wanted to be involved in music, but I kind of lost the drive and the love for playing drums. And so I said, you know what, I want to either buy a sound company or a recording studio. And one of my good friends at the time owned this sound company, and I saw how much work he, he did. You know, I was like, uh, no, that's a little bit too, too much work for me. So I bought a recording studio and found a mentor to kind of help teach me how to engineer mix and everything. And then the, one of the groups that recorded at my studio got signed to a major deal and it was a small town. And so when I went on the road, they asked me if I would mix for them and I said, sure. And then they said, Hey, could you book the hotels for us? I was like, sure. Can you drive the van for us? Okay. Can you help us set up the gear? <laughs> okay. So then it kind of right. went through that and they were opening up for a, at the time, a well-known group and the tour manager of that group, uh, who's one of my mentors to this day, Karen Crattinger, kind of took notice of me and she was getting ready to leave to go work with of all people, Prince, who I'm a huge fan of and who I eventually ended up working with a couple of times, uh, over the years. Um, she says, "Would you be willing to take over my spot because I'm leaving?" And I was like, huh, I'm driving a van. I'm doing all the work. I would actually be on a bus." I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> so she kind of uh, taught me the ropes, introduced me to the group, and then she left. And she says, "You have two weeks after I leave to call me, and then after that, it's sink or swim." And you know I, I did a pretty good job and then it kind of just led on to me working with other groups here in Atlanta and then I kind of I'm more of a rock guy listening to music mm-hmm. and so I really wanted to kind of branch out one of the things that I had found is that people of color we're not a lot of us aren't on like you know the big white tours like the Stones or U2 you don't see very many of us on there but on R&B and hip hop tours, there's, you know, a lot of white people on the tour. So I said, you know, I kind of want to branch out because I feel that if you can do the job, you can do the job. And all the jobs are basically the same. You know, if you're a tour managing for one group, you can just kind of bring over that same um, mm-hmm. mentality over. So I've worked in country, I've worked in rock, I've worked with jazz, so, um, I, I do love working with country artists a lot because I, I find that they're the most organized and I kind of like the, 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 weekend warrior kind of thing. You leave on a Thursday or Friday, then you're back home on Sunday to get back home in time for church. And then, you know, you're the you rest of the week, you're with family. Um, So it just kind of gravitates so up. Like I said, I've worked with every genre of music, but I just, I just love to work. I just love It's, kind of like putting a puzzle together and then going out there and then putting all the pieces together.
2: Right. tour. How how early when a tour is getting organized do they bring you in to talk, to be a part of it?
3: Um, Usually as far out as a year, sometimes six months, I've gotten called out to go out on tours as, as, there's a couple of days, you know, someone had just gotten fired. and So I was called to come in and replace them. So then, you know, you're kind of in a mad dash to kind of get caught up.
2: All right.
3: But generally, usually I would say three months, three to four months.
2: And, and, and what, what is your role at that point?
3: Well, it depends because I'm a tour manager, a production manager, and a tour accountant. So it, it depends on what's needed. If I'm a production manager, I like to be on board at least six months because you have so many... Vendors that you have to get in place, audio, lighting, video, staging, backline, staffing, tour managers, you know, you, you know, maybe a couple of months because I'm just really dealing with all the travel and the logistics, getting people from point A to point B. The most tours I've ever been on, I do double duty either as tour manager and tour accountant or production manager and tour accountant. So then, you know, I have the added benefit of settling the shows, doing payroll per diem, on top of doing production. Right. and managing, so,
2: Right. Got it. And how did you learn all of that?
3: I had three great mentors when I was first starting out. Uh, Karen Krattinger, who, like I said, she went to, on to work with Prince for several years, and then she went up, on to work with the Dixie Chicks mm-hmm. for several years, uh, who I still call to this day. My other big mentor is a guy named Tom Barfield, who I still talk with. And Tom gave me the best, um, advice. He said, learn everything that you can learn tour managing, production, managing, uh, accounting. If you can be a promoter rep, you know, that'll make you more, a more well-rounded person and your phone will ring three times more than it would just, if someone was just looking for a tour manager, make yourself invaluable, you know, do double duty because that saves the artist extra salary, extra per diem, extra hotel, extra flights. And, uh, uh, have another mentor in the UK is a gentleman named Bob Ward, um, who, who's worked with everyone from Beyonce to Iron Maiden. And uh, he's a wealth of information.
2: So you're settling up for a show. And uh, how is it in there, in that uh, back room?
3: You mean as far as the back end, if we didn't go into Got percentage, center? Right. Um, well, there's so many different variables of why you didn't, Get there. You know, the show might have not sold well. Your expenses might have right grown a lot larger from the jump.
2: We had taught through the years that roughly, a promoter will break even around 70 to 75 percent of the house is filled. Is that still true because of the guarantees going up so much, or is it still roughly like that? Um,
3: I would still say roughly, but it still de- depends on again, the variables involved, is it a versus deal? Is it a plus deal? Is it a promoter profit deal? Um, what the guarantee is, what the ticket prices were. So there's so many different variables in there to, um, that would be hard to really say, but yeah, that's, that's just a difficult one to answer because of all the variables. Yeah, involved. I
2: think I'm just trying to think of when, if you're in there early, and there is talk, I mean, I don't expect you to have a great deal to say about it. But when they're talking about ticket prices, scaling the house, and so on, and what they get out of the concessions and parking, all of that, is it um, just was wondering if it roughly maybe around 70%, not that everybody's going to be happy, but 70% will be a, a break-even point or something of right of close to that. That's all I was trying to.
3: Yeah, that that one that one again is kind of difficult to,
2: right. to say. Yeah. Right. Are we seeing more plus guarantee plus or guarantee verse deals?
3: I see mostly guarantee versus deals. Okay. Um,
2: so the guarantee is then. Uh, so the uh, verse is higher.
3: Yeah. So the verse is higher. Higher. The artist makes. More money the promoter makes, more money. But if it's just a straight guarantee, you know the promoter has a chance to make more money on the back end.
0: Well, can you can you go through that actually? Because I don't think that there are probably a, a number of people who are going to be listening listening to this who don't understand what you mean by versus deal plus deal. And you mentioned a couple of a couple of others. Can you kind of briefly explain what each is?
3: Uh, a versus deal is, you know what I should, I might. Email you guys um, a couple of my spreadsheets so mm-hmm. you can share with people. But a versus yeah. is a guarantee versus let's say eighty five or ninety percent. So let's say if a show sells out, you go into let's say your guarantee is one hundred thousand dollars. Show sells out, um, you've gone into percentage. And you've made an extra three hundred thousand dollars, so you would make on a versus deal the extra three hundred thousand dollars plus your one hundred thousand dollar guarantee. So you've come out on the back end doing very very well. A um, what happens is, did you your percentage was it more than your actual guarantee? Yes, because you went into percentage. I haven't done a plus deal in maybe.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: 15, 20 years.
2: Wow.
3: Yeah. So I I very rarely see a plus deal, but a promoter profit deal would be, you would get your guarantee. Let's say the promoter profit deal is you get 85% and the promoter gets 15%. So you tabulate all of your expenses. And then if your guarantee comes up and you would include, I know this might be a little bit confusing. You would, Also, include your promoter profit within your expenses. And then, if you make your guarantee, you would, um, and there's still money left over, you would still get 85% of whatever the extra guarantee, I mean, uh, the extra overages were. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't, the promoter still comes out. So a lot of the things that I see that with a promoter-profit deal is the promoter is going to make money on the show, whether the show loses money or not overall. Right. So I think it's that's why you see a lot of versus deals mm-hmm. that I see. But I see that a lot of smaller promoters generally like to do promoter-profit deals mm-hmm. because they need to cover their behind on the back end.
2: So an Earth, Wind & Fire tour would be mostly... A versus, percentage versus deal.
3: Yep, and they do a lot of corporate shows, so when they're doing a corporate show, it's just a straight guarantee.
2: Right. And
0: when those deals are cut, are they going to you and saying, okay, I'm talking about a corporate show, for example. Are you involved in just getting the group there, or are they calling you six months months in advance and saying, we're doing this show for AT&T in Hawaii? Before we cut the deal, here's what, they, the guarantee is going to be put together all the expenses to make sure that we're not going to lose money or that we're going to make what we want to make. Are they bringing you in far in advance for that type of show as well?
3: Uh, yes. So it would mostly be like CAA or William Morris, whoever is the band's uh, responsible agent. booking agent. Right. So before they accept the actual show, they would say, hey, David, can you... Here's what the guarantee is. Can you run a budget for us and just get kind of g- generic flight numbers? Uh, most of the times in corporate shows, they're going to cover either your flights or they'll do a flight buyout and they'll cover your hotels and local ground transportation. So David, can you do a budget for us based on what the flights costs will be, what um payroll will be what per diem will be and then what our expenses would be like if we have to carry some of our own backline or if we're going to have to get backline there
1: mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. and generally if it's comes out to be profitable for the groups 9 times out of 10 they'll take the deal but they have a number in mind of what they want to come home with you know some groups are 20% some groups are 30 40% mm-hmm. so it depends on those variables of accepting the show or not. They won't accept the show just like, hey, we're gonna to go to Hawaii, it's a, it's a great gig, $400,000, but you're not gonna to wanna to go over without knowing if you're gonna come back with money or not. Right. So so generally, I do get called in to do a budget just to make sure you know, this, this show is gonna be profitable for the group going
2: over. Mm-hmm. She must work with business managers then quite a bit.
3: Yep, yep. Yeah. Because there's also going to be taxes involved, payroll tax, you know, all of, all of that stuff's going to... Uh,
2: that's why I was help. saying, uh, where did you learn all this stuff? Because it's extremely complicated. We have on our faculty, we have uh, Aaron Van Dyne, who's the business manager for KISS, KISS mm-hmm. down, St. Vincent, and so on. So we're pretty much plugged into how the numbers work, and so on. And he talks many times how he has to project for KISS a European tour, mm-hmm. 35 dates, and if how much are they gonna yield, and maybe they won't do it. Yeah. They don't need to do it. Right. Um, that type of a thing. He also tells us that Dave Matthews is, um, they call him the socialist, because 365 days a year he pays his span, and mm-hmm. he pays, uh, the head guys and the crew because that's what i call them a socials do many artists do that keep um keep crew members on on retainer and so on
3: i find that the groups i'm not going to say that there's a lot but i find that the groups that do that usually have long-term staff that stays with them because it kind of keeps a loyalty b um, you think enough of those people that you don't want to lose them to another tour. So when you go back out next summer, you have your core people. So you, they know your system. They know how you work. You're not having to retrain or learn someone's new personality or, you know, when you're coming back. So um, I do know that, I believe that the dead do it. Uh, John Mayer, I believe. I, I've always heard the Dave Matthews cause I've always wanted to work with Dave Matthews Band because a, I like his music, and then plus I like how he treats his people. But those are the three that come to mind
2: right, right. away. And right. I don't
3: know a lot of country artists keep people
2: right year-round. Makes sense. Let's say you need um, whatever in the crew, you need 10 guys, and you need X amount of gaffers and people who set up all that and so on. Is there a sort of a standard let's say per diem or something that these guys, that overall, it's basic in the industry, let's say it's, I'm not getting it up, $50 a day. I don't I don't know. Yeah.
3: yeah, I've seen it everywhere from 30 to 75 a day in the States, and then overseas, anywhere from 75 to $200 a day when you're abroad.
2: So these guys that go out for six months and so on, they're not starving, really. <laughs>
3: No, because you're still getting fed, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner while you're out
0: there. I I wanted to go through some of the roles that you have had over the years. And see if you can kind of just recount some of them. And if you could explain to everybody what you did in each role. Okay. Okay. So, for example, you were the backstage manager for New Orleans Jazz Fest. Um,
3: So, as backstage manager, you're responsible for... Once the artist, because in most festival situations, you know, you're not gonna have, you know, like to be involved with a bunch of tour buses or ground transportation. So when the artist comes on site, I'm the first person that they're gonna meet. I'm gonna direct them to where their dressing rooms are. I'm gonna, you know, just remind them of their show times. Hey, do you guys need anything? Like, do you need additional towels? Do you need additional coffee, tea, milk, or anything just to make the artist feel comfortable once they're on site, and then to kind of knock on their door, you know, if their stage manager doesn't do it, to kind of say, "Hey, you know, we've got ten minutes before you hit, five minutes, hey, we need to start walking towards the stage," and then to kind of uh, stage them on the side of the stage before they go on. So whoever's the MC can make the announcement, blah blah blah, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Steve Marcone Band, and then. And then, you know, when they come back off stage, they escort them back to their dressing rooms, get them into their vehicles and they, they leave off site. So that's a backstage coordinator. Okay,
0: tour director for Charlie Wilson.
3: Tour director for Charlie Wilson, I was responsible for everything from logistics, moving the whole kit and caboodle from point A to point B, all the artists, band, crew from point A to point B, I did payroll, I did per diem, I settled the shows. I was involved with all the production, uh, light, sound, video, staging, um, putting together the show times, dealing with the local crew, uh, stage hands, um, basically everything on the tour. And I was hired from day one to kind of piece it all together. I was actually hired by Tom Marzullo, who's a well known tour director but he was out on another tour and he brought me in to kind of facilitate the Charlie Wilson tour. So I was involved with everything from point A to point B, everything, so, tour management, production and the
0: accounting. What's the difference between a tour manager and tour director?
3: Tour director oversees everything, including production, A tour manager nine times out of 10 involves just moving the artist and the band from city to city, country to country. Um, And dealing with all the local logistics, the buses, hotels, flights, local ground transportation, um, and just the movement of them from city to city.
0: And the tour director is on the road, generally with the band, just like a tour manager is? Yep. Mm -hmm. You were the production manager for Star Trek Ultimate (laughs) Voyage.
3: That was a brutal one. Um, (laughs) So I was in... I was, I oversaw all things production, you know, getting the set built, uh, anything technical, sound, lights, video. We had an orchestra from the Czech Republic, so it was dealing with getting them set up, you know, orchestral-wise, dealing with the language barrier, because I spoke no Czech. They spoke very limited English, so it was a lot of hand motions going on and pointing, um, we did have a translator out there, um, but it was dealing with moving all the backline, setting up, staging. Um, basically, anything technical was under my umbrella.
0: You were, have have been tour manager and tour accountant for Earthwind and Fire. You've talked a little bit about what mm-hmm. you done in those situations when you're handling both gigs, both tour manager and tour accountant. I guess you have people under you who are helping you cause you can't be in two places at one time.
3: Yeah. Um, usually we will have an assistant. Um, I'm a bit of a control freak. So I kind of want to keep tabs on everything, but like you said, you can't be two places at the same time. So on earth, wind and fire, we had a road manager, and we also had a tour assistant. So if I was dealing, I mostly dealt with the three principals, the three remaining um, original members of Earth, Wind, and Fire. So I traveled with them primarily. We had a road manager who was in charge of taking care of the band, moving them from point A to point B, but everyone reported to me as far as movements because generally we would stay at the same hotels. You know, you, you would, um, we would generally try to take the same flights if possible. Just to try to keep everyone together. Um, and then we had a production manager, amazing man named Tony Bullock, who's worked with everyone from Whitney Houston to Earth Wind and Fire and several others. And then our production coordinator, Gabby Para, kind of held the whole glue together because she kind of kept tabs on Tony and myself. Hey, you might have missed this, or hey, do you need help with this? So you do need a little bit of extra help because like you said, you can't be two places at the same time. So you're
0: definitely going to need an extra pair of hands to help out. Well, speaking of Gabby, you and Gabby created a company, didn't you?
3: Yeah, we started a company last year called Tour Forensics. And what it is, is we saw, there are other companies that do the same things that we do, but we kind of really want to focus on helping out up and coming everything from up and coming to well-established groups, management firms, uh, artists, record labels, to kind of think outside the box. And what we do is we kind of help them put together budgets, um, tour a different way, uh, find different ways to save money out on tour because we see a lot of waste on tours and a lot of unorganization on tours. And we kind of wanted to teach, people there's a different way a more organized more efficient way to to do things and different ways to save money so we've had three clients so far uh, and then you know this pandemic hit so we're hoping after things fire back up that we'll be able to reach out and help more people in the industry
0: where are those areas of waste like how where have you been able to save artists money on the road
3: um I see a lot of waste with artists they're tour riders for one, you know they'll have a tour rider that's like five or six years old, and they have all of this catering that just goes to waste.
2: Yeah.
3: You see a lot of food in their dressing rooms when you leave at the end of the night, you know it's like they haven't touched a lot of stuff right. um, I also see a lot of waste in I would say dealing with stagehands and stuff. Do we really need to have 36 people for load in and load out? Can we kind of curtail that? I see a lot of waste where we have so many people that just do one job on the tour where you you can save money by having people who can do double duty, you know, a stage manager slash rigor, a production coordinator slash dressing room person. But, you know, there's so many jobs that are just, singularly specific, you know, like a rigor um stage manager. Um not saying that those aren't important jobs, but you know, if you can get a tour where you can double up people, you're saving a hotel flights per diem, salary, you know, an artist. When always coming up you know like my father used to say a penny makes a nickel a nickel makes a dime a dime makes a quarter a quarter makes a dollar a dollar makes five and so on and so on and so on and those add up over a six month or a year tour you know small little things and you know do we you know the artist is like hey i could have saved forty thousand dollars if i would have just slashed this one thing out of the budget Mm -hmm. so just small things like that using like office depot coupons um consolidating your phone bills um you know just small small little things but they they okay. definitely add mm-hmm.
0: you mentioned the food part so and and the the a rider being five or six years old so why wouldn't they be updating the rider anyway from tour to tour and then, I've, so yes i'm sorry go ahead yeah and then the second part of the question is um so where are you saving the money? Are, you, are you, You've been on the road, you see there's all this left over. Um, is the promoter paying for, or the venue paying for that anyway? Since it's yep. coming out of the rider. So you're saving the promoter, I guess, in that part, which is making the promoter like the band. Or in that case, are you working for the promoter? Those are 10
3: but Here's the thing. If the promoter is paying for it, and let's say you have a show where you're very close to going into percentage. Yeah. Okay. Your catering bill is, let's say... You're five hundred dollars away from percentage. Do we need all of this catering? Do we need all this stuff in the dressing room? If we slash, like, let's say a thousand dollars out of our catering budget, okay, now you've gone into percentage. So mm. it's kind of a domino effect. If you save money yourself, that saves the promoter money, which also can get you that money on the back end. So it's, it's a domino thing. So, uh, and back to your first question. A lot of tours don't update their riders because they said hey you know just use the rider from last time but things have changed your band might have changed the artist's taste might have changed um you know when i came on with earth wind and fire one of the first things i asked the guys i said is there anything in the dressing rooms that you guys don't want anymore And he said oh yeah we don't ever i don't even know why that's on the rider we don't need that is there anything that you want to add and you know i made a list i gave it to gabby Gabby changed it in our tour writer along with Tony Bullock and sent it back
2: out. And so, is there a repository for crew members? Who do you call? Do you put an ad in the paper? Or-
3: no, uh, it's primarily networking. There's also a website called BobNet
2: that that hey, posts Bob. a lot
3: of touring um, jobs. I've seen um, that. But it's a lot of networking because um, you know as you go through the years, there's certain people that you would like to work with. And so they're going to be the first people that you're going to call. Well, hey, are you available? If not, Hey, I'm not available, but I know this great guy who's available. So right. I would say it's 85% networking.
2: Yeah. Are you familiar with road recovery? Not really. No. It's a organization started by a friend of ours it's about 20 years old now. It's not more. And, uh, they, uh, Put tours. They put crews together, recovering, or well, they act as a, um, a, re- a just as a, a, a sort of an information. If a tour, a guy's on tour, a crew member, and he's about ready to use, and he hasn't used in thirty years, there's a number to call because mm-hmm. they're all recovering. Oh, I see. Anybody that runs it, uh, but they've had great success with. Um, not for profit of course, and raising money and so on. And they have, again, they have all these tour members that are, um, you know, that are recovering but are straight right now.
3: Yeah, there's another one called Showmaker Symposium. If you guys want to check those out. And it's run by Misty Roberts and Jim Digby who've worked with everyone from Metallica to Def Leppard. Mm-hmm. And I was actually on one of theirs. I'll send you the link to it because it's something great to check out because mm-hmm. it's helping people who are recovering. So check that one out. Showmakers Symposium.
2: Right.
0: Okay. I was just looking, by the way, at uh, bobnet.rocks is uh, what you were just talking about a second ago. Is that a place to go? Let's talk about for a second. I'm a college student. It's May when we're recording this. So a lot of college students around the country are graduating in a non-COVID year, we'll call it. Um, they'd maybe be trying to get out there and trying to get something on the road. I know you mentioned a lot of it is through networking is um, some of the networking through, can they join Bobnet.rocks? Can they do LinkedIn? What are all the different ways young people can break into the business? I tell, um, cause I, I do speak out of a couple of
3: other universities. I always tell them if you really want to break in, I find the best way to do it is to find like a local promoter or to work for like Live Nation, AEG or whatever local promoter, because that way you're going to be getting on the bottom floor. You're going to see how a show gets put together, how it gets booked all the way to load in to when the doors shut. And I tell you when I was a promoter rep for Live Nation here in Atlanta, that was a huge learning experience for me because I got a chance to see how other tours did things. I was like, oh, that's a great idea. I want to do that on my next tour. Or I will never do that on my next tour. That is like the dumbest thing I have ever seen. Why are they doing it that way? But I would say if they could work either as an intern or as a runner for a promoter, booking agent, um, a local theater, anything like that to either intern or I think that those are different avenues that are a wealth of information to learn um, or even work for a festival in a volunteer basis. are is a, is a paid because you're going to be around a lot of different artists to see how an actual tour or an actual show is put together. So if you're going to get into it, I think BobNet is a, is a great thing, but BobNet is for people who have already been out on a tour or so I think that Bobnet might be, but they do have a young guns section. So it's for people who are just starting out or who are a little bit, a little less inexperienced. So it's always worth a try. And I always say, try everything, LinkedIn, um, find a mentor, which I can't stress enough, um, mentorship. And you know, a lot of us who are off the road right now, we have a, uh, I'm part of a webinar called Tour Management 101. And what it is, is it's every Monday and Thursday, and we we are teaching up and coming and just starting out tour managers how to tour manage. And if they're not able to kind of watch the webinar, we post it up on YouTube, you know, the day after. So I think we're coming up on episode 15 this coming Thursday. But we've had some heavy hitters on there. Who've you know? We've had ticketing this coming Thursday. We have security. We've done settlements, international touring, um, and we also provide different templates online for people. Like, what's what's a per diem sheet? What's a day sheet look like? Because you know, when you're just starting out, you really don't know. And I always say, there's no question like, no question is a
0: stupid question because if you don't ask, you don't know. All right. All right. I would agree because I've been listening to tour management 101 and uh, by the way, people go to tour and that's where they can find everything. But I've been listening to, I heard the logistics episode recently. I'm on the travel episode right now and it gets really deep into the laws for uh, truck drivers. Mm-hmm. You know, the hours they can be on and when they, the clock start, starts for them and stops when they need to stop, how the, uh, the trucks have, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, Uh, a program inside. The second it starts to move or the second it turns on, the clock on the truck starts going and they can only drive those 10 hours. Then they have to stop. I mean, some really specific stuff, but it's really, really interesting.
2: So how do you become a guitar tech or a a drum tech?
3: I've noticed that most guitar techs or most drum techs are actual guitarists and drummers themselves. um, a lot of times I've seen great guitar techs and great tr- drum techs have actually worked at rehearsal studios like uh, SIR in New York or Center Staging out in Burbank. Um, we have here in Atlanta crossover rehearsal studios. So um, a lot of times you'll find a great drum tech or guitar tech who are actually musicians themselves. So they know how to tune and and everything. So
2: they trying to be discovered?
3: No, I just think that they're in the right place at the right time. And and then, you know, once you kind of get in the network, you just keep networking and move on to the next gig.
2: Better than being in their mother's basement.
3: (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, um, health insurance, I mean, you guys are generally um, independent contractors. So are you paying your own health insurance? Are you putting away for your own retirement? Uh, Or do you see a lot of uh, people in your field not doing that? Can you kind of get into how that works versus somebody who's working for a record label and it's all covered by them?
3: Yeah. Generally, in the touring industry, there's no health insurance. So we are on our own. And that's another reason why during this pandemic and everyone being out of work, we're really, really hurting because if someone does get sick from this virus, you know, going into the hospital for several days, sometimes weeks, you're going to come out and you're going to be severely in debt. Um, I have found, um, because I'm also a tour accountant, um, I'll just tell you this little story. Years ago, I was out on a tour in Europe and our front of house engineer, a very good friend of mine, a guy named Scotty P. He's mixed everyone from Prince to some well-known Korean artists. Um, I mean, he, he's probably one of the mas- most amazing front of house engineers that I've ever worked with. And he came to me during the tour and he says, Hey, Five One, um, I got a question for you. My house, I'm thinking of paying off my house do you think I should pay off my house or do you think I should just kind of continue on and just kind of stockpile the money in my, my bank account? And I said, well, give me a couple of numbers. What are, what's your mortgage? What are you paying monthly? How long is your mortgage going to be? How much have you paid into it? And I kind of made him a spreadsheet. And I came back and I said, if I were you, I'd go ahead and pay off your house because the amount that you're going to be paying in interest over the remaining, I think he had like another 15 or 20 years. It's a, it's you could have bought like another car you could have and he said did you know that's let me think about this and so he called me a few months after the tour and he says hey i took your advice i went ahead and paid off my house so when this pandemic hit who was one of the first people that just called me out of the blue and it was scotty he says you know i want to thank you because that was some of the greatest advice because right now my wife and i and my my child we have no income right now we are nothing but we have a roof over our head, you know, our vehicles are paid off. And he says, you know, that advice you gave me was like 15, 16 years ago. He says, but look look at me now, you know, that was some great advice. So I always tell people do as much as you can. Um, I like personally, my house is paid off. My vehicles are paid off. um, And, you know, I'm older now. So you kind of, this i know that this isn't going to last forever a lot of people and a lot of artists think that it is going to last forever and it's not going to last forever so you kind of have to protect yourself and play the long game and um do those small things pay a little bit more in your mortgage each month if you can pay off your house go ahead if you can pay off your vehicles go ahead because all that interest that you're going to be saving you can be putting into your bank account instead so be wise with your money.
0: Sort of with that in mind, um, in your field, a venue tries to avoid dark nights because every night that a venue is closed is a night that revenue is not coming in. So, mm-hmm. somebody who lives on the road, do you look at it like that in a normal year as well? 365 nights a year, I wanna be working 330 nights of those in order to you know pay my expenses, save up and be happy?
3: No, because I look at – touring is very, very very rough on the body and the mind. Because touring is not a 9-to-5 job. When you're on tour, some days you're working 16, 18, sometimes 20-hour days. So if I'm working 300 days out of the year, you know, you're mentally and physically are going to break down because that just – wears you down Um, lack of sleep eating bad food not having normal sleeping hours uh, not having normal eating hours plus all the travel involved you got to get up extra early in the morning to get to the airport then you're going to have jet lag you're going to be flying straight into a show you're just going to be mentally and physically beat down so I I never look at it that way personally if I get offered to work with an artist I just look at it as whatever dates come in I'm I'm happy. I love what I do. So if I work three months out of the year, I'm like, yeah, I, I wish I could have worked a little bit longer because I like to work. But if I have a tour where I'm going to be gone for a year or two years, I don't look at it as I need to keep working because I need the money to come in because I know that eventually I'm going to need a break and I'm going to want to not be touring because I have a love-hate relationship with this pandemic right now because this is the longest I've ever been home and I am going out of my mind <laughs> right now. I mean, there's only so many things you can do around the house. You know, I have no a, a right. checklist of things and you know, by one o'clock in the afternoon, my checklist is done and, and hey dogs, do you wanna go for another walk? And you know, my dogs are looking at me like, ah, another walk. So, so
2: do many artists have two crews out anymore?
3: Right. Uh, only the larger tours that do studio, uh, I'm sorry, stadium type tours, because you're going to have to leapfrog that kind of production. So I would say, uh, like the groups that are like a U two or Stones, or if Dave Matthews is doing a stadium tour, Metallica when they do stadium tours, you know, you're going to have to have two crews to kind of leapfrog to get from stadium to stadium.
2: Right. And in in general, how long does it take to set up a stadium show?
3: Um, I would say anywhere from three to five days on the load in and maybe a day or two on the load out within the show. So
0: People should go to a couple things we talked about. People should go to tourforensics.com because that's where they can check out your website and see all the different things that you do because there's some great stuff there. They should go to one oh one. I'm sorry, tour tourmgmt.org. And that's where there are, as you mentioned before, all sorts of templates and things like that. Um, You can check out bobnet.rocks if you want, even though, but if you're starting, it's not the best place for you. And what was the other website you mentioned earlier?
3: Uh, Showmakers Symposium. Showmakers Symposium. Okay. check out. And if you want to check out my personal website, it's www.david51.com. And you can find out some more info about myself. Well, this has been great. Thank you very much.
1: For yeah, it's been great. It's my pleasure.
3: If you guys need me for anything, you know, feel free to call. If I'm up your way, I'd like to give you guys a shout, maybe stop
0: by. Sure. Definitely. Great. Definitely. It's great, great to have you. So thank you so much for the time. Yeah. Well, Stay you. safe. You too, guys. And thanks for everything. Thanks. Take all care right. now.
2: Bye. He was very good. How could he learn all that accounting? I mean, I'd be afraid of it myself. <laughs> it's hard. i would see it or not they have on their websites, they have all
0: these uh, spreadsheets. And so I was looking at a uh, budget spreadsheet uh, mm-hmm. yesterday and just plugging in numbers and stuff. And it's, it's a lot of work. You got to find a lot of information, you know, and, it, and, yeah. and uh, there's, there's a lot of good stuff in there. So that, that's the tourmgmt.com. Why don't we end this show? Yes, did you eat lunch? I ate
2: lunch, I had chicken. So did I. At the end of every show, we don't say hello, do we? No, but they do in Italy. When they see you, they say ciao. And when you, they leave, they say ciao. It's the oh, same Hawaii. word.
0: Mahalo, same thing with Hawaii, mahalo. Rah, uh, right,
2: whatever that is. Yes. Oh, mahalo mala, you might Ma- right. Mahalo. Okay. Mahalo. Ma- so the accent's on the first halal.
0: Uh Mahalo. Mahalo. Yeah, on the ma. Yeah. As in ma, what time is dinner? Right. It's funny stuff. So, we don't say hello, we don't say goodbye, we don't say ma-hello, we don't say ciao. At the end of every show, we say... Oh, uh, uh,
1: notice we were moving faster than just friends losing control of the situation you lose-